0: Hi, my name is Alan. I am a business designer, and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers. In the 23rd episode, I spoke with Tulio Jarocki, product designer at Blinkist, a subscription service that summarizes non-fiction books so that they can be consumed in mere 15 minutes instead of reading the whole book. So the company has over 2,500 titles in their database, more than 6 million customers, and it has raised over $35 million. So with Tulio, we spoke about the design team and design processes within Blinkist. Specifically, we looked at a design process that they distilled into a checklist. So we looked at this checklist, what it, what does it consist of, and how you can use it yourself. We also looked at how designers at Blinkist use data in their design process, so where Do they get it from and who do they need to collaborate with? And as Tulio worked in the US before coming over to Europe, where Blinkist is based at, we also talked about the differences between the US and Europe in terms of the design maturity. Just one more thing before diving into the episode. If you want to learn more about business, um, you can visit my website beyondusers.com and there you can take a five-day email course which I put together. It's called Mini MBA for Designers. And in this email, I present five business concepts that are relevant for designers and that I've also used in my design process. So that's available on beyondusers.com. And now, without further ado, here's conversation with Tulio. Okay, so Tulio, first of all, can you tell us, how did you get into design? Where does your design story start?
1: Ooh, that's actually, a, that's actually a good question, because I don't think I wanted to be a designer when <laughs> I was a kid, or even in, in high school, I had no idea what design was, or didn't really have an idea about what graphic design did, or product design did. I always wanted to do computer science, and okay. that's what I went to school for, um, But as soon as I got to computer science school in the U.S., I think that I couldn't really relate with anyone around (laughs) me. Why not? I just figured, you know, I I can do this well, and this is super interesting, and this is a a field where I can do a lot of stuff with this. Um, It doesn't really block me. I have to do this one thing. I can use computer science to build whatever I want. Um, But at the same time, I didn't really want to be programming for the rest of my life or sitting down in front of a computer doing these kinds of tasks. Um, Didn't really fit in with the culture, I guess.
0: Got it. So when did you then go from uh, studying computer science to... Did you then study design or how did you
1: get into that? Yeah, so I went to to school in Boston for two years for computer science. Um, And at the end of the first year, I already knew that that's definitely not what I wanted to do. And the funny thing is I took an entrepreneurship class that introduced to me the idea of design thinking it was (laughs) it was the one class that had one case study on ideo
0: the shopping cart one yeah and
1: (laughs) and how ideo came about to solving problems and how companies could use these methods to solve problems and the idea of solving problems became very interesting to me and that was my gateway drug into design and that's when i started getting involved with human-centered design and design process and design thinking and I think at the same time, I also started to find out about aesthetics a little bit more. It's when I discovered people like Dieter Rams and Mm -hmm. all that other side of design and minimalism. And these things kind of just melded together. And I decided maybe I should try the complete opposite of tech school and go to art school and see what happens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's interesting. Like, How would you compare your experience from the computer science school... To the art school what were
1: what were the biggest differences honestly i think i was pretty disappointed with both educational experiences i think that i had a very big expectation about what school was about um it's just gonna be a lot of smart people who are really passionate about what they do and they're there because they want to but not really it's a lot of people are there because they just were forced or need to be or society expects them to be and Only later, maybe in your senior classes, people really start to get passionate about that thing. But I think, to answer your question, it was very different kinds of people in the different schools. Um, In engineering school, everyone, as cliche as this may sound, everyone was very very good at what they did and very focused and very centered and usually very good. It was rare to have bad students in a class. Um, And then art school was a lot more chill. Classes were super long, you know, like two, three, four hour studio classes, completely different mentality, completely different criteria evaluation, like no tests. You're judging people on completely different things. Very subjective, I guess. It was very subjective. Um, But at the same time, I, I was almost equally frustrated because one was almost necessarily too objective and there was very little room for, Humanity is in very little room to meld these things together. And at the same time, in the art school was a lot of people who had these phenomenal ideas, but they, they stayed there and they didn't really want to do anything mm-hmm. with it, I guess. And I always think it's like maybe I went to the two extremes. Try, <laughs> exactly. Trying to find something in the middle. Because at the time, I was still interested in programming. Like I did pick up, I, I did two, two full years of computer science, so I still knew how to do a lot of the stuff and like in the art school, then I learned all that other side of things with graphic design and branding and like a lot of the theory behind color type, all that good stuff,
0: yeah, but it almost sounds like you landed then in the middle right somewhere between the art and this
1: complete full science, like in the design right yeah, I think again to to use a cliche, Steve Jobs had, has that famous slide in the presentation when I think he's talking about what apple is about how apple is a is a combination of like technology and the liberal arts and he has like a crossroads science where it's like the technology is phenomenal and that's what we use to to move things forward but it's technology married with the humanities married with the liberal arts that really bring out something new and different and i think for me that was always the how i try to explain my education it's like i try to get a little bit of both and try to land somewhere in the middle
0: yeah I'm really curious to hear, since you went to uh, computer science school, there's a lot of talk lately that designers should learn more about programming and actually becoming also, learn how to code to a certain extent. What's your take on that?
1: Well, I think that whatever you're working on, it's important to understand all the pieces of it. And I think that when people talk about designers coding, the way I see it more is designers understanding how how things get built, how the things they work actually function and get built and understanding the whole process. And that includes understanding the business side of it, but it also includes understanding like, what is this thing that I'm drawing in the screen? How is this going to get built? How is this technology actually exist uh, in the world? And I would also actually make the case for the opposite that more people need to take design mentalities and design approaches like that question doesn't get asked often like should other people be designing you know like should developers be designing should pms should other professions use the mentalities that we have i think in the end of the day the cool things about these modern tech companies is that they're very cross disciplinary and you have a lot of different people working towards the same goal and i think in the future these lines are going to start getting very blurry mm. people are going to have their specialties right it's like i'm very good at doing this and i can do this very quickly but everyone around it is sort of going to understand what that person does very well and you're all going to be working towards similar goals um, which is already kind of what happens today
0: yeah so maybe like speaking about your role like personally and now having knowing that you're coming more also from this uh let's call it programming background also like how much of that knowledge that then actually also try to use when designing things do you actually then also code things or this just helps you like just you just explained to know what the implications of your design work on the the code and the technological stuff is
1: i think that it really helps you and in, in maybe when i was in san francisco uh, i was working on pretty much a design systems role and if you didn't understand technology or like understand how things got built, that it makes your job nearly impossible to, (laughs) to figure out how to design things. And I think that you use it, at least I use it almost all the time. This idea of starting from how is this going to get built? How is, is it possible to, to build this? Um, and it makes the designing much easier when, when you're thinking about, this from a purely technical standpoint right and like not the design process as a whole but just the visual aspects of it the actual ui of it it's much easier when you understand how these things are actually being built can you just give one example like maybe of something you designed
0: recently and how this technological lens helped you know what to then also do in a design sense
1: yeah i I think something happened last week where we are working on a design system and we had our you know, like our UI set up in, in Sketch in a certain way. And the, d- the engineers would get it and have to translate it to the way it is set up in code. Um, and I was like, this makes zero sense. Like, why don't I come to your desk? I look exactly how the code is structured, exactly how this X code is dealing with <laughs> this header component. And why don't we just make the exact same thing in Sketch so we have one... Go so it's a truth where we're talking the same language, like you understand how this is built and I build it the same way that it's actually going to be built. Um, I think before getting ahead of myself, the future of design tools is going to be something along these lines where instead of drawing pictures of things and then having developers translate that, we will s- start to be building things together. Um, these things are going to be organized in a design file the same way it's organized in, and code.
0: So, maybe, what is maybe the easiest step or one thing that listeners can do to start learning more about the code? Also,
1: I think being curious and understanding that you can ask the people that build the stuff you design how they build it. And that a lot of the times, when you get that information, whether it is you work with developers or front end developers, back end developers, understand. Like, how are you building this thing that I'm designing? And just starting that conversation with them, you're going to get a lot of insights that, again, some of it might be very useful, some of it might not be useful. But I found out a lot of times where the stuff that is useful really helps you when you're building, um, you know, like your your interfaces next because you have a deep understanding of how they think too and how they're going to look at what you do. So it becomes less of a handover. And mm. it becomes more of a collaborative process.
0: Got it. Yeah, it makes complete sense. One thing you mentioned earlier was moving to US and also now obviously moving to Europe. So what I wanted to ask you is, when you, decide, when you decided to move to Europe, um, how did your job hunt look like? And I'm just interested in what are the differences basically between the design community and maybe maturity between US and Europe and how would you compare the two?
1: Yeah, I I had the luck of not having to look for a job because I was working for a company in San Francisco at the time that just happened to have an office in Europe and the transition for me was incredibly smooth. <laughs> it was it was very easy to to go from the US to Europe, but then at the same time I was in a in a big office in San Francisco with a team of 25 designers. And then I started working remote, pretty much. And that was a complete difference in design culture, Yeah, I guess. And then, you know, like after that, joining Blinkist, it's a completely different design culture as well than the U.S.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about this difference in Blinkist and also what you experienced in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I think I think in general... Just looking at the startups here and the tech companies in Europe, just because they're a little younger, I guess, than startups in San Francisco. When I was working for Weebly in San Francisco, it was the first startup that went through Y Combinator. It was literally the first batch. So it's kind of as old as startups get. (laughs) It was When I joined, I think it was already 9 or 10 years old. Um, So a company that started back in 2006, I believe. So it's it's as old as it gets. So you get product designers and you get design teams where half people who can say is like, yeah, I have eight years of product design experience. And when you look at the landscape in Europe, it is very rare to like have any product designers that have been product designers for <laughs> eight years. So maybe with one or two years of experience there, you're still very at a junior level, but you come here with two or three years and you... You already are at a much more advanced level just because there aren't enough people who have been doing this for a long time here. But I do think that's changing, especially in a city like Berlin where a lot of international people come. Uh, it becomes a little easier to to grow and mature the design community. Mm. What does even
0: design maturity mean
1: if we can try to define this phrase? I think that that's a, that's a great question. But I think... That maturity comes from an understanding of the role that you play in a bigger picture, I guess. Um, designers. D- designers, yeah. I think that especially in, in companies or in design teams where I would say they're not mature enough, it just means that they still don't understand their role in an organization or they still haven't truly grown to the size that they are contributing to ideas or they are part of the entire process um and having that understanding of like we contribute to the organization in this or that way it's it's hard to get to that level and usually the team size helps (laughs) honestly strengthening numbers like if you're a little bigger and you have more projects to work on you can have more areas of influence in an organization but again to my previous point time i think that having having teams that have like worked for a long time like that that really helps you know, I was like the older the company is you tend to see that the design teams mature with the company especially because the challenges that an early s- startup faces for designers are very different than the challenges of a five six year old you know, like company faces it's it goes from, you know, like pure design process at the beginning to maybe at the end, stakeholder management and trying to teach design to other people and empower people. And that is much harder than pure process at the beginning.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you is uh, when did you join Blinkist in terms of at what stage was Blinkist as a startup then? and so when coming in like what are the things you started working on as a design team how big was the design team like how does this transition from where you joined to now went
1: i think that the design team when i joined was about seven people i want to say um the company had just gone through series c funding and growing like Company was growing pretty fast. Um, I think we pretty much doubled every year over the last two or three years. So the company was still in hyper growth stage. And when I when I came in, it was we need more product designers to really grow the design culture and to kind of grow the team into a more robust, mature design team. And the the head of design at Blinkist has been with the company from the start. Um, and Really looking for more product designers as the company expands and you have more initiatives and you have more projects going on, and it just becomes overwhelming to be a a, a small design team so I think the company is still growing and still doubling <laughs> pretty much every year, so that brings with it new challenges at every single at every single point
0: This is actually one thing that we discussed last time we met. It is the fact that you you mostly have a role of product designers. And I compare this with a lot of companies that look for um, UI, UX or UI specialist or even the UX, UX UI uh, hybrid. So can you tell a little bit more about what does product design role mean within uh, Blinkist? And then how do product designers within Blinkist uh, basically distribute the work who does what?
1: Yeah I think I think the reason to your first point the reason we use the term product designer versus UX UI designer is because we believe product design is a little bit more encompassing um it includes it includes parts of the business including things like understanding the business side of it very well and overseeing a product or something that you put out from the beginning to the end more than just a UX or UI designer which seems very specialized. As much as I care very little about these specific labels that we put, but I think that product design, product design in an organization—if you look at at an organization or as a company or a company as something that is generating some sort of value—if um, you look at Blinkist, you know, like we're creating content that is valuable for people. It's, it helps them learn something. And I think that the role of product design in an organization is how can we help people experience that value? How can we help people use that value and experience that value in their day-to-day? So for me, that's the role of product design. Conversely, then the role of product designers is to find the best way to help people experience the value. But if you're just a user experience UI designer, I think you get too focused on your silo and then you forget, what am I actually selling? What... What do people actually want? Like, why are people coming here in the first place? Um, and when you when you see your design as more of a product, like someone has motivations behind it, someone has like needs that need that need to be met through this. I think it gives you a bit of a nicer perspective.
0: So what I'm hearing is that if if we call someone a product designer, it almost almost already encompasses the fact that they are more thinking also about the business value they're creating for the user and for business
1: right yeah and i think that again the term you're creating a product right like something that someone is going to be using i even really dislike the term user Uh, i think it's it's probably the worst thing we can call you know like the people that use our products Uh, it sort of detaches them from all like all, all of their humanity basically like they, that they have needs and that they have uh, concerns and that they have things that need to be met through whatever you're selling yeah i even prefer the term. i would go as far as preferring the term customer because at least if you have a customer you are serving that customer and i think by saying product designer you're it focuses more on the product um that you're designing and the, the encompassing things that come with it right if you're designing a product it kind of implies a lot of the business things we've talked about which is who am i selling this to what is the value that i'm creating um and how does that translate in real life for for the people that use this
0: mm. so but now within the um blank is right mm. how do product designers divide the work because Product design is a little bit wider term, if I can call it this, uh, uh, in comparison to UX, UI. So I'm also guessing that you guys within product design have different, you know, each person has different uh, skill set and maybe focus on certain stuff, or am I wrong? Like, how do you divide this stuff? How do you deal with that?
1: That is, that is kind of correct. Um, I think that the, the way we divide work at, at Blink is so within the design team, we have... The design team is a circle. Um, so Blinkist is organized in five big circles that are part of a bigger company circle, and it's it's very self managed. So the strategy or the directions don't really come from the top. There's just a general strategic objective, and then every circle figures out how they're going to execute that strategy. Okay.
0: And what 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 are those five circles?
1: Uh, design, people and organization, marketing engineering and data and customer support i want to say the five circles
0: so you get the main goal from the top management let's put it this way and then you define for each circle how you're going to achieve that
1: goal exactly and every term we work on terms not quarters so we have three terms a year so four months yeah four months and every term each of the circle each of the circles presents sort of what they worked on and what they are going to work on. And all of those goals are reviewed against the wider company goal. So every circle is kind of held accountable to be working towards a strategic objective. Like how the circles achieve their goals, like upper management or, you know, like the founding team doesn't really care to a degree. They trust that the circles are going to find out a way to to do that. But then within each circle, there's also sub-circles. So for instance, within the design circle, we have a product design sub-circle, a brand and marketing design sub-circle, and a research uh, sub-circle. And then each of these teams also play a role within the circle's objectives. So product design plays a role within design the design circle's objectives. Okay.
0: So speaking of this structure, how do designers at Blinkist collaborate with other circles? Does that mean that you are in a silo or are you like put in a product team with a developer and a researcher? How does that look like?
1: Yeah, so we, we work in cross-functional teams and we I think we have for a while now. We, we've played with different iterations of cross-functional teams. Uh, now we call them mission teams where each of these cross-functional teams fully fully staffed. So there's two Android developers, two iOS developers, usually one designer, QA, PM, like the whole cross-functional team um, method. And each of these teams have a mission that is very user-focused. Um, so a, a sample mission is um, we a, a team that's for learning experiences, we call it, it's like, which is to help people learn new things through Blinkist. So... It's very user focused and then the tasks that that team works on usually have to do with that with that mission um and that's how things tend to get divided so we have three or four of these mission teams, and each of the designers allocated to one of those teams so most of the designers work are within these cross functional teams, but we also have you know like weekly meetings and sort of functional circle things that we do as designers and that's how we keep collaboration like at sync
0: another thing we also discussed last time and i found really interesting is also i mean like where people sit you know <laughs> so i mean currently if i understand correctly it's still like design team is sitting together mm-hmm. even though you work on cross-functional teams so i'm just curious to hear uh, and you also i think told me that you might change that so i'm just curious to hear what are the pros of having design team sitting together and what are the cons
1: so why are you now moving into Uh, sitting together in these cross-functional teams so before when i was at weebly in san francisco i i also joined about the time where we were switching to cross-functional teams and again the organization that 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 organization was much bigger it's like 400 almost 500 people at the time that i joined and one of the biggest things for the design team was colocation like because designers again designers tend to stick together and you know like have their own little little group and like even if you go to the lunch table designers will most likely be sitting together while people from other teams tend to mingle um so not not a very good not a very good thing that we do but when colocation happens uh, i think initially it was kind of hard for the designers but within three or four weeks and as soon as a few projects started getting shipped we realized how much more value or like how much better the work was just because you were literally sitting next to your pm who's writing the tickets you're sitting next to your developer who was building something um sometimes it would even get to the point where it's annoying where the developer would like look too much at your screen and you would be like <laughs> it's like hey you're not implementing this right <laughs> um but i think overall it was incredibly helpful and it it just helps to, and this is kind of why I like Blinkist calls them mission teams. It it embodies this this team with you know like we have we're working towards something together, and Amazon has the the famous like two pizza teams where you're trying to get a team that's small enough that they feel like they're working towards a goal um, that they can accomplish, and I think it's much harder, you know like if you just have these big company objectives and each team is kind of doing a little bit to accomplish that, but with these cross-functional teams that hopefully are sitting together it's something that we're trying to do at Blinkist Um, even if not permanently as soon as projects get going we tend to like swap hot seats and like work for a week within the teams but we're trying to make this permanent Uh, it's currently in discussion it's just much easier to to have that sense of we're a team that ships things independently and we're building value to the customer all the time
0: how long does one mission team stay together for?
1: That's another good question. <laughs> it's it's something that we are currently evaluating too. Um because we also want people to have like mobility. For instance, I started on one mission team, but I am on another mission team right now. So we're trying to strike the balance between like designers and engineers learning about sort of what that team does. So as a designer, for instance, if you're working on this learning experiences mission within a month or two, you're going to get very familiar with the data, very familiar with the, with the customer's needs. You're going to get sort of very good in that area. And there's something really good about that because you, you sort of become an expert in that and it really becomes your passion and it becomes the mission of the team. But at the same time, we want different perspectives and we want, you know, like mission teams to, also evolve and have different members. So what happens a lot of the times is instead of switching the people, we tend to switch the mission. Um, So the mission teams themselves, because they're not product-based. So I think traditionally cross-functional teams are product-based. So like this team works on search or this team works on the library. And we purposefully didn't do it this way because we wanted the teams to be like, okay, we have this mission for two months and we are all going to work together towards it. And now this is done. Okay. Let's work towards another mission. Um, Usually it's within the same realm. Um, So if a team is, if a mission team is about converting users, they might work for two months on the mission of redoing onboarding. And then the next month it might be uh, rolling out pricing internationally. Mm -hmm. So the people tend to stay the same, but the mission changes. Uh, And we just had a mission change like last week of a team and, They worked on something for three months and now they're gonna start working on something else and probably gonna last another two months. Got it. So
0: basically the novelty and what keeps it interesting is changing the mission, not the team, okay.
1: Yeah, and it it just happens that usually it's within the same realm. So people people still are able to apply that knowledge. So it's not like someone was working on conversion and their mission's suddenly gonna be like build a new audio player. That doesn't tend to happen um, it's usually more missions that pertain to the same topic but just different missions got it
0: there is one more thing i really wanted to dive deeper into and this is your process you told me last time that you have a very specific process for designers at blink is how you go about creating a design basically um, can you talk a little bit more about that how does
1: it look like I can, if you have an example, that's even better. Sure. Um, I think that coming from, coming from San Francisco and design teams there, they tend to say a lot that they're process driven. And this is something that I found, like we're very process driven and we spend a lot of time like coming up with these processes. But when teams get to like 20, 25, 30, it becomes very hard to follow some of these processes. And when I joined Blinkist, it was actually pretty refreshing to see a team that was truly process driven like, <laughs> very like stuck to process the company as a whole thinks thinks very like hypothesis focused like even you talk to PMs they use the word hypothesis and you talk to engineers they also are using this term so the whole company kind of thinks this way which helps but we formalized this design process where which we treat it more as a checklist for a project even if the project is really small we tend to go through the checklist just to make sure that we are doing the things that we need to be doing. And I think I told you this where sometimes when you're writing case studies about projects you did, you tend to be like, oh, okay, what did I do? And then you start trying to dig everything that you did for that project and start to dig your wireframes and try to find JIRA tickets. Um, and the the way we found that to be helpful is what if we structure our process um, in a way that we would pretty much write a case study. And You start with you know motivations. Why does this project exist in the first place? What is the the customer story here? Um, and then you know if like from there, who did we get into the room to kick this off? And then going into like a discovery phase where we have specific checkpoints for research. Okay, there we go. Talk to business intelligence. Do they have data for us? Yes. Okay, put it there and explain what the data tell us. Go to to the voice of the customer, like, do we have any qualitative data that's relevant for this project? Yes, here it is. Like, go to do... do. So a series of steps, pretty much, um, where we really try not to miss anything. And if the project is small and we go, like, do we have any qualitative data on this? And there's the answer is no, that's fine. But we still went through that. And it becomes easier to, to at the end of it, really understand and contextualize your decisions because at the end of let's say the discovery phase we have a a point which is like write sort of what you discovered based on the data that you got based on the competitive research that you've done write a little bit like what was discovered at this phase and at the end when the project is done your case study is pretty much written because it's all there it's all there yeah Yeah. but let's go more into detail to this let's say i just
0: joined Blinkist as a designer today and you need to teach me this. Uh, I don't know how many step process it is. Okay, so let's start. If we start with the motivation, what exactly does does it happen in this
1: step? So uh, I'm thinking you, you actually have to go a step further back, Okay, <laughs> which is like, projects, at least at Blinkist projects, at Blinkist tend not to be sort of shoved upon designers or shoved upon like, okay, we're going to work on this. It tends to be that we as a team look at our north star kpi what what is it that this team is trying to accomplish
0: and this kpi comes from the circle or from this mission team?
1: so it comes from a company mm-hmm. level right so the company has some north star kpis and then each mission team sort of tries to drive a specific one um and each each of the circles also try to relate their activities to those north star kpis um but with those KPIs in mind and with previous projects in mind and customers in mind, we tend to sit together and run a workshop. Is like, okay, what should be we, we be working on? It's like, what should be in our backlog? And then from that is usually how we prioritize what gets to be worked on in the, on the first place, even before it gets to the level of like, okay, this project has started. But then <laughs> when this project starts... Um, the way we set up our process is we just have an we we use Asana and we just have an Asana template that has pretty much every single step in that. So when I joined Blinkist, my one of my first questions was like, Yeah, your process is great. Like is there a way that I can just follow it? There a template. And yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a really nice template that um pretty much tells you exactly what you have to do. It's like what is the motivation for this project to figure this out? Sit down with your PM, make sure that this, 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 and this were done. Um, and then once you figure that motivation out, write that motivation. What is the user problem here? And we, we have a series of validation questions at each step. It's like, you cannot start this project, you know, like if you don't have these kinds of informations, because we we know for a fact that it's going to come down to haunt you down yeah. the line. So for example,
0: now for this motivation, what I would have to nail down before I move on is... What is the user problem that mm. I'm trying to solve, for example? And second of all, what is the business KPI I'm trying to move?
1: Anything else? Yeah, so so the way we do it, like it's almost exactly, as you said, we tend to, to go into like what is the user problem first, right? Like customer problem, what is the people problem here that we're trying to solve? Um, and then trying to understand, um, trying to really actually explain that problem and not just say here's a problem and really providing like here's how we know this is a problem like the problem x is happening we know this is a problem because of x y and z like this 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 piece of data sometimes it's qualitative data sometimes it's quantitative data sometimes it's anecdotal evidence that we really trust Um, and then from there we go okay then how are we going to measure if we made an impact here it's like what are the kpis what are the things that we're looking at when solving this problem, like how we're gonna define success for this project. And then once all these things get figured out, these components usually get brought to a kickoff meeting where everyone tries to align on that. So you have all the stakeholders who are part of that project and those things are presented. What is the user problem? You know, like what is, how do we know that it's a problem? And then how we're we gonna measure if, you know, like if whenever we solve this, that this problem was actually solved.
0: Okay. And, this is really cool. So what's the next step then?
1: <laughs> yeah, then I think from there, we, we tend to go into a pretty, after the kickoff, we tend to go into a very standard design process, which is comprised of um, discovery phase and then ideation phase and then sort of a refinement, which kind of includes hang- handover. So it's a three-stage process. Um, and then at every point in that process, when every every time a stage is done, there's usually some sort of checking in or there's usually some sort of report. Like I told you, every time you finish a stage, you tend to, like there's a there's a point that you sort of need to summarize what happened there. And the discovery stage is usually when we, okay, we have this problem, we have all, all this information about what we're trying to do. And then during the discovery phase, we tend to go into research. Um, and as I told you, we have a checklist of, did you check all of these resources we have for, for research, and also we have checkpoints like competitive research and all these other specific points that we kind of need to hit before we say like we've done discovery on this. Um, and
0: then, oh, go ahead. Does discovery mean that we are in the stage where we are just trying to find out what the potential solution could be and back that up with
1: um, some secondary data? I don't even think we're in solutions during the discover phase. It's it's still about the problem problems. understanding. Um, it's more of we kind of know this is a problem now. Let's try to dig deeper into why it is a problem, like really understand the core of what is happening. And this is why we try to gather as much data as we can, f- like internally. And then we also had competitor research there because... It helps to see how other people are dealing with a similar problem and like how how their approach might be or what they might be seeing that we're not seeing. And I think that once the discovery phase is over, if you really have a deep sense of the problem and you're sort of bursting with like ideas and hypotheses that you kind of want to test, then I think you you tend to be at a good stage. Um, and the, the first step... like. On, if you continue that process after discovery is pretty much hypothesis formulations. Like after that, you you saw all these things. Now let's come up with a few different hypotheses that we can start to, how, how might we go about solving these problems that we're seeing? And from there, you know, it's like you start to have a few hypotheses and these hypotheses are often discussed with the team. There's specific points there to like, do a workshop here if it makes sense you know like have the showcase the problems you found in discovery to the whole team and then let the whole team come up with hypotheses and ideas and then prioritize those against perhaps the kpis and then again continue your design process maybe select one or two hypotheses and then go into wireframes go into continue the design process pretty much
0: does that then bring us to the experimentation phase where we launch experiments
1: Yeah, I think as soon as we have, like, we try to have one hypothesis, but usually it's, like, one or two hypotheses. That's when we usually go into the more full ideation phase where we're, okay, if this is the hypothesis, here's three or four ways that we can perhaps test this or validate this hypothesis. And the whole point of the ideation phase is to validate or devalidate hypothesis and we do that through sometimes wireframes sometimes even non design stuff like surveys (laughs) sometimes can devalidate hypothesis or even sometimes you come up with a hypothesis that maybe forces you to ask for more data and then maybe you'll find data that you didn't find before that devalidates it or validates it but for the most part as soon as we do have some sort of hypothesis we come up with uh wireframes and prototypes that we could use to validate or devalidate it. And we only move on to the next step, which is refinement, when we have a validated solution. We don't move on um, until we have.
0: Yeah, makes sense. One question I have about these experiments is since you are a B2C company, um, how often do you actually launch these experiments in a way that they are visible within the app versus having a survey or just having interviews with people?
1: Pretty much everything we do, we do with A/B tests, um, unless, like, unless we are absolutely sure that we're going that way, which is very rarely. Unless it's a very big strategic decision, almost everything that we do is an A/B test. It's something that we do, just don't take for granted that, you know, yeah, we did all this research and it's probably going to work. We we know that usability sessions and all this stuff is a controlled environment, and when you put things out there and scale it's very different. So we always have a test running. <laughs> to answer your, your question, pretty much every release we have, we have a small test running. A, a very simple test we did just this week was having people sign up with social media versus having people sign up with email and then trying to understand the impact there. Like did the, the people who sign up with email does it mean that they're more willing to like commit to Blinkis versus the people yeah. that sign up with social media. And this is something that, you know, like when we did usability testing, like some people, almost actually everyone said that they didn't want to sign in with social media. But then when we looked at the data is like a lot of people still do. So it was kind of inconclusive. But our hypothesis was that like if people sign up with email, they tend to be more committed, which means that they will uh, convert better, that they will enjoy the product more, that they will become a better customer and we we run these tests, and we like we get results, and if it works, we ship it for everyone. If it doesn't, we kill it, and we have a usually a sessions like why do we think this didn't work?" and then we try something else. Got it. I think one crucial part of this whole process is using data, and that's
0: what a lot of designers still don't do. So how are designers at blinkist integrating other teams or people? Who have the? I mean, the general question should be: How are the designers and linkers using data? But already hearing a few of your answers, I'm guessing it's not just designers who are dealing with data. So I'm curious: How do you designers use the data, and who do they reach out to to get the data they need?
1: Yeah, I think one of one of the first things that I did when when I joined was like, "Where's all the data?" <laughs> it's like, it's it's really hard to understand these products without looking at without looking at the data is like, how do people use this? Like people open this up, but what do they do? Um, And one of my first little projects was getting every dashboard we had available and sort of categorizing them for designers. So if you need subscription information, there's these four dashboards. If you need discovery screen funnel, here's these three dashboards. And I think we're very good at collecting data. Um, And, our BI team is also very good at breaking those down into useful dashboards. But a lot of the times that initiative comes from designers, PMs, brand marketing. Um, You usually, the, the business intelligence team has a sort of request form and you say, I am looking to answer these questions. And then they do the job of, here's how we think you can answer these questions. So that's part of our discovery process. So if we say, we're trying to build this thing and we looked at the data and the data here might not be enough. Then we sort of put in a request with the business intelligence teams. Like we are still looking for this kinds of information. And a lot of times we already have the data. It's just a matter of organizing and reframing it. And it, it's really great. Like we're with designing without data is very hard, both, both qualitatively and quantitatively, like having those two kinds of data to Balance off each other because sometimes users and customers say something, and when their behavior is a little different from what they say. So, the more data you have, the more informed your decisions are going to be. And I think that we are, we tend to be very data driven at Blinkist and as a design team, too. um, That is the easiest way. Whenever there's any disagreement in the team or any, you know, it's like, which way are we going to go? We tend to fall back like what is what does the data tell us again not just hard numbers but what what are users saying you know like what are the people that use the the product mm. uh, actually saying and using that as arguments
0: exactly and i think one of the big arguments to not use data from designers is that hey i'm going to lose my empathy but i actually uh, i think you gain even more empathy because sometimes what they're telling you is really not true then having this data helps you um The last thing I wanted to ask you uh, is from people who join Blink is what are the common mistakes you see them doing when they try to design with data for the first time?
1: Ooh, mistakes from designing with data in the first time. Maybe to your point, I think it's very easy to look at the data and and dehumanize um, what you're doing. Um, So my advice would be usually to try to build a story with the data, right? Like the data is just there and... You're trying to create a story with that data. It's like there's a drop off happening here. There's a you know, like a percentage that seems really high here. Um, what does that actually mean? Um, we have a very interesting data, which is most people that that read our uh, the books and blinks. Their initial avenue is like going through categories. So we tend to say it's like you know people are looking for a topic, and they use categories because it's presents them a very easy way to browse their topics even telling yourself a little story like that already helps humanize that 64% of the people yeah. <laughs> use categories so it's yes relying on the data but not not forgetting that the data is just telling you about the people using it and a lot of the times again, the data is going to be optimized to tell you one thing, right? Yeah. Like the, the way you collect it makes a difference. What you're measuring makes a difference. So sometimes the data will not make sense. And having that ability to look at the data is like, yeah, this is telling me this, but you know there, there might be something. Yeah, There might be something else. Like a, a classic case of this is when you're looking usually at subscriptions and you know, like maybe your signups are a little down, but if you get too focused on like making your signups go all the way up, Maybe your signups are a little down, but because you made that change, you know, people are converting better down the line. Um, yeah, and staying so longer with the service. Exactly, we're staying longer with the service, and then their lifetime value is a bit higher. So it's very easy for like designers to start working with data to get into that m- marketing mentality of a higher number is better, or like yeah. any change to this number is better, because for marketing a lot of the times it tends to be true, but with design because it's more nuanced and there's more parts to it. It happens that sometimes look at that data, but look at it with a grain of salt, understand the bigger picture and understand that the data is just informing you that there's people behind it doing things. You're just trying to understand what they're doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then using different types of data, like quantitative to figure out what is sticking out, like in terms of the percentages, but then also talking to people to figure out why this is happening is kind of the good way to create these stories yeah absolutely so thanks a lot Tulia, for taking the time sharing this really interesting process and uh, all the insights with us just as a last question uh, where can people find more about you or blinkist
1: yeah thank, thank you for having me I think this was this was great it's it's always nice to have conversations about about design and about process but I think more importantly designers tend to be in their own little bubble, and it's it's really helpful, I think, for us to think about our profession a little bit more holistically. You know, it's like within the context of the companies we work on, and it's something that I think you do a great job with trying to teach designers about business. And I think it's a first step of design maturing a little bit as a profession. Product design is still relatively young uh, field, but we need more of this thinking. Of what design like what role can design play like these organizations are so gigantic (laughs) and if you think that you have 20 or 30 designers defining what 20 or 40 or 100 million people do it's kind of mind-blowing and the fact that society as a whole isn't really talking about product designers um, like it's very hard for me to explain to my mom what i do (laughs) yeah something with computers (laughs) yeah exactly so I think that it is important to start these conversations about, you know, like what what role designers have to play, and for us to almost take what we do a little bit more seriously and be less concerned about the nitty gritty and more concerned about what is the what is the implications of the things we're doing, what are the implications of our processes, and like what are we trying to achieve at the end of the day. As for Blinkist, if people are curious, uh, just Blinkist.com or find us in the App Store, find us in the Play Store. And for me, uh, TulioJaraki.com, you should be able to find everything there too. Cool. Well, thanks a lot again. Yeah, thank you.
0: Cool. This is the end of the episode. If you like the show or this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or any other podcast app This really helps me a lot with uh, getting other great guests and also helps other listeners find the show on this crowded podcast market. And again, if you do want to learn more about business, you can visit the beyondusers.com and take a five-day email course. And uh, in these emails, you can basically learn about five uh, business concepts that are relevant for designers. Thanks for your attention and see you next time.